Digital Dissection, a nerd podcast, can at times contain adult language and themes. It is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Digital Dissection Podcast, where we take a closer and possibly unnecessary look at our favorite properties, creators, and topics. We are your humble hosts, Joe and Martin, two pop culture nerds dedicated to telling entertainment history before it's forgotten too soon. Join us on Facebook, Twitter, and our blog for more information on the show. We also love to hear from you. Write us at digitaldissectionpodcast at gmail.com. Now that we've got that out of the way, let's get to dissecting. You know, Joe, it'll never beat the first time that the record button you know, back when we used Zoom and it flashed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wasn't it like, wasn't there like a little countdown too? Like a, hey, yeah, you still, we want to like, you are being recorded. Yeah. Yeah. You are being recorded. Yes. It's like a, a very nice NSA letting you know that you're officially being watched. But yeah. now that we've switched to Google, it's just a nice little bing. Yep. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Up a dung. We can't say bing with Google. Those are different things. Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> and speaking of different things, yeah, Assassin's Creed Three. Yeah, so we're going to be doing um, a slightly different format this year with the show. Um, the you show. said goodbye to side stitches. Those are those are now officially a thing of the past since season one is in the books, and we're going to try a few new things. And one thing that we're going to do is just go over some retro replays. So you know we're we're featuring some old video games we used to play, and in some cases, some games are remastered, and we bought them twice on top of the first time we bought them. This is one of those games. The difference is though, like when we would review games, it's like yes, we'd talk about appreciation, we'd break them down and everything. But what we didn't typically do was actually kind of go into it like the gaming magazines of old, which is kind of what we were looking for, you know, picking out criteria you know, and, and actually giving a rating to a game, right? Because if somebody listened to our review, it's like, you're going to listen to an hour review of a game and then still not know what, like, what our, what our, you know, number is that we attach to it. (laughs) That's true. If you would just talk about the game for a long time, but yeah, great game. See you next time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This game, I loved every moment of it, but, uh, you're going to have to fast forward a bit if you want to know exactly what we thought. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who, so for the ease of the viewer, yeah, yes. we're going to definitely be, we're going to be just as informative, though, from a historical perspective, because that's what we do. We love yeah. to do that. So I don't it's, know. it's I, part of yeah. the fun looking back and remembering fondly upon our slightly younger selves. Our slightly younger, but also far heavier selves, as Joe and yes. I have been. <laughs> <laughs> we, Joe and I constituted an extra person when Assassin's Creed 3 first came out. This is true. <laughs> During that time, uh, I was a first-year teacher at a Catholic school, not making a lot of money. So my diet was mostly Mountain Dew and cheap fast food. And you can imagine what happened shortly yes. after I started teaching. Those decisions, they add up quickly. And, oof, uh, oof, yeah, and oof. They, they take a lot longer to, to wear off, but... <laughs> Yeah, uh, the, the world, yeah. the world of 2012, Joe. If if we can, 
once again hop into our DeLorean, which is now going mm -hmm. to be electric because it's coming back. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, bringing that back too. So why not bring back Assassin's Creed 3 and 2012? So like, like I said, for me, um, this time in my life was I felt like the first time where I was like truly on my own and expected to kind of just know what to do uh, with my life. Like I'm, I'm fresh out of college. I have moved away from a college town. I don't live in my hometown. I moved to a city where I literally don't know anyone. And I am like really by myself. And I have this teeny tiny apartment that was advertised as quaint by the realty group that owned it. And quaint is just, I guess, folksy for old, rundown, and still kind of cute in a way <laughs> because that was my apartment. Oh, as legendary as it was, you know. This was actually just about the same life journey for me at that point because we had just moved uh, to an apartment that you know the wife and I had mm -hmm. staked out, um, and we moved further away from our family. So we were kind of in this literal like bubble because if you remember, I lived like where the where the glaciers literally cut through Wisconsin. So there's like mm -hmm. all these tall hills around us. Like you barely <laughs> even got cell signal there. So. Um, <laughs> Oddly enough, this is where this is the time period in 2012 where I actually played like the most amount of video games mm -hmm. that that I have in the last like 20 years. And so 2012 was a, a very special year, not just because of Assassin's Creed 3, um, but that's that's just telling you a little bit of that. Now, as far as the the franchise of Assassin's Creed, mm -hmm. like where was it at in 2012, Joe? So in 2012, I would say thriving. And you just got off of three main video games hanging out with Ezio Auditore. And you spent two of those three games in Italy uh, during the Renaissance. And the last, um, you moved back to the game's roots where Altair was hanging out in the Middle East. So we basically have this incredibly smooth, suave, well-established assassin that we've been playing with for the past three games. And it was kind of like this completed journey we just had with Ezio. We literally see him born in Assassin's Creed 2. We see him grow up this uh, basically a wealthy noble, have his, his family killed in front of him. And then we have what turns out as a kind of a revenge story into him finding a bigger purpose in his life. And then you see him figure out that purpose and kind of figuring out that, you know what? My purpose was literally just a stepping stone in a bigger piece of a story. I think I'm done. And we get to see him retire quietly and end up passing away in Embers, the short film. Yeah, it was it was uh, very poetic. And I remember seeing um, this, this one uh, piece of artwork that someone made right after the series wrapped, or at least the Ezio series wrapped. And it said for Assassin's Creed 2, revenge. Mm -hmm. For Brotherhood, it said justice. And for Revelations, I think it said meaning. Like that's like, pretty fitting. Yeah. <laughs> that's that, that's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what like, I oh. said in three words. Great job. <laughs> it was like, it's like somebody <laughs> just took uh, roughly about 
100 hours of gaming for me mm -hmm. and they summed it up in three words and i can't argue that <laughs> yeah, this is like the guy who went on i think after lincoln at the gettysburg address and he's like how did this guy have a better speech in like 10 minutes than i had in four hours <laughs> yeah. come on you're <laughs> kidding me he wrote this on a napkin <laughs> oh my he God. didn't write it entirely on a napkin but anyway history yeah. assassin's creed's playground pretty much and, yeah. and at this point we, we like you mentioned we went through the entire life and times of Ezio Auditore and so mm -hmm. by the time you get to embers uh he's just sitting on that park bench and does his best uh lethal weapon and Getting old for this shit. <laughs> and, if and only then, he could have said we could have had a Roger Craig Smith say that at least once. Yeah. <laughs> Between Revelations and Embers, just uh. I remember uh during a, a panel he actually did SEO talking about going through puberty. And uh <laughs> and, and I think I think the exact line was something like where he goes, My body, it's changing it's strange <laughs> <laughs> so it's been explored but oh yeah yes we were mm -hmm. at the end of a, of a fun trilogy we were at mm -hmm. the end of a of a combat system that you know a lot of us got used to playing yeah uh that had been refined over those three titles so by the end mm -hmm. of it you're like a a one-man army killing machine yep um but it's 2012 it's the end of the world quote unquote it is yeah. this was when yeah, this was the mine apocalypse right yeah. this is, uh, we we interpreted as they stopped making the calendar therefore that must mean everything stops right that's how it's <laughs> supposed to go they didn't they didn't have a plan for all eternity it's weird that a civilization that collapsed stopped making things <laughs> and this is where we were as a society in 2012 but then again you know we needed an apocalypse. It had been 12 years since Y2K. We needed a new reason for the world to end. Oh, yeah. Why not go ancient instead of technological? I mean, I just kind of looked at it like, you know, the calendar ended and the mind's just like, whoopsie. Uh, you know? I don't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we didn't know we're supposed to keep going with this. Like, <laughs> I don't know, guys. We can only like etch cats so many times on a calendar for you. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Is this what it's going to end? It's like, hey, I'm going to need to get all up off my back. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yep this is when it's gonna mm -hmm. end and hey. yeah i mean I, I this is what was fun about assassin's creed at that point in time because people were starting to to build on that narrative of oh man it's an annual entry every single mm -hmm. year um even though there was a little bit of a gap between one and two and you know but whatever and so we didn't really have that to to really i don't know maybe sour us to the series yet or or there wasn't a majority yet that was thinking that, but regardless of whether or not that's true, mm -hmm. it's just it's just the narrative wasn't there yet. Yeah. And I remember people trying to, you know, look through history and go, man, where are they going to go next? Like, mm -hmm. like it, it was a hype train that I don't think is the same now. No, no. You know? And it was it was huge. I know this was this is, you know, before Origins. So Egypt was always on that hype train. Um yeah. There are ideas for feudal Japan. I remember being pretty big during that time. Like, is this where they're going to go next? We're not quite sure. And then, then we got hit with an absolutely beautiful, beautiful concept image drawn by one of my favorites, Alex Ross. Yes. Of Connor. Before we even knew he was Connor. Yeah, I practically mm -hmm. humped that drawing. Holy oh crap. my God, it was gory. Remember the Game Informer and how like I stole it from my my roommate who had a subscription and like 
borderline never gave it back to him. <laughs> he, he eventually got it back. This is this is much like my time spent with uh, the Ocarina of Time and how I had it for several several months to a year or so before he got it back. But he got it back. Um, <laughs> Not, this isn't this isn't like a, a Pokemon that you you took from a summer camp uh, bed bunkmate. This is Team Rocket is for Life. This is something you actually returned. <laughs> I did give it back. I did borrow that, that that magazine. But like looking at the development of this though, because it took a hot minute to really develop Assassin's Creed Three, and they timed it out really well where they had the mind apocalypse like idea happening. And at the same time in the Assassin's Creed games, there's always like the, the memory storyline where you're, you're playing as the assassin, but then there's the modern storyline with Desmond miles. And that finally comes to a head in Assassin's Creed three. And they've been basically planning this storyline with both Desmond's uh, Desmond's storyline and Connor's storyline for over five years or for around five years. And they'd been developing Assassin's Creed 3 when Brotherhood was just about to find the close in development. So yeah, I, think, I think it was actually two. Like at the end of two, I mm -hmm. remember hearing about development starting for several titles because yeah. they I think they did it that way because initially I think Brotherhood and Revelations were supposed to either be some kind of uh like DLC or mm -hmm. or like a spin-off game. Like they, yeah. they were that's what that's what the original vision was supposed to be. So mm -hmm. so like right after two, three began development. And uh it was I think I think it took it was like two and a half years. I think it was like the longest development cycle mm -hmm. for a game in that series up to that point. Yeah, and the team was huge. I think it was five different uh Ubisoft teams from almost every like headquarters they had across the world working on this game and getting it ready. And one of the things that creative director Alex Hutchinson wanted right away is he's like, we want I want a game in the Americas. So they knew we we're going to have this this shift in not only just oh, like, well, not only in feel and tone of the game, which we'll get to in a little bit, but they wanted a completely different setting. We had spent so far the entire franchise uh, in Europe and in the Middle East. So we we're looking for something brand new, except they weren't sure exactly what they wanted to do in the new world. So they had several ideas of different time periods to go to. And one of the ones that kind of kept lingering was the American Revolution. Yeah. But to really sell the idea, um, one of the lead one of the lead concept directors, Alexandre Nevescos, had a pitch for basically the Ubisoft directors. And the way the idea he got to pitch this was he literally built out like revolutionary New York with like as a model like literal physical models that he had set out and had these different scenes from the video game that he wanted to set up with the revolution. And they brought together literally anyone and everyone they could to build this tiny little model. I believe one of the people on it had talked about how she'd used like basically things she'd learned for cake decorating to make this thing. And they shot it at times where they had someone sitting on a skateboard with a camera running past scenes to kind of show the directors what was going on. Mm -hmm. And they ate it up. The the heads of Ubisoft like, this is perfect. If this is what your idea of what the world is going to look like and where it's going to be set, like you've got us sold. And it was that along with ideas of like, we get to meet George Washington, go sailing and go hunting in the wilderness. Like fucking hell, sign me up. 
Like, this is where we want to be. Which, to your point, you know, seeing or hearing about the conceptualization of this, it's something that you absolutely had to nail because, mm -hmm. like you mentioned, we just spent a lot of time in Europe and the, the Europe of the South, which was the Middle East. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and so, yeah, looking at some of these early uh, concepts and some of the drawings and, and some of the behind the scenes stuff, like the, the way that the, the, that this, our assassin flowed in this world mm -hmm. and, and the way that this world was kind of built up for us to explore, it had to be seamless because we were no longer going to be getting these 50 story buildings, no. you know? So this setting had to be, well, I, I say had to be, but like, you know, they, they had a task to yeah. make this world look and feel as much of an Assassin's Creed experience as the last, you know, four entries that you just played. Mm -hmm. So I and, really appreciate what they had to, had to do here conceptually. Oh yeah. And, and the world they made, um, despite its it's in a stark contrast to renaissance uh italy um colonial america is dirty um it is a little run down a little you know off the beaten trail uh and is kind of grungier definitely grungier i mean like one thing that they talked about how um like i remember playing this game and like you just see pigs wandering through the streets of boston because apparently what I learned from actually playing this video game is something that like owners would used to do is like they would do the whole notch in the ear thing with the pig. You just had to fucking roam around like eating garbage and trash and people's food. And yeah. then like, OK, you know, it's been it's been some time since the pig's been out there. Let's go find it and slaughter it because it should be big enough now. And yeah. so like that was something they incorporated into the game is like you just have pigs wandering through all the major cities along with you know dogs cats and just other like stray like livestock yeah oh hey before we were saying close enough guess what the colonialists were doing the same thing <laughs> it's 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 like a farm there are people here there are animals close enough yeah and i've got wooden teeth you know whatever <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'll, I'll chew the fat with these fresh pine teeth of mine yum so <laughs> um, the lead artist on this game, uh, Chin No, actually described his vision for for like basically, especially um, New York as sunsets uh, on silhouettes, because you'd have like the beautiful, like Dutch, well-civilized, like kind of, I guess you could consider upscale colonial New York at the time. And yeah. then you'd have the outside, which like got burned, <laughs> burned down heavily. And so when you play the game, there is that very sharp contrast going from kind of like the centered, like nice Dutch area of New York City into the outskirts where suddenly it's like, oh, if there's an equivalent for colonial, I've, I've entered the wrong side of the tracks. This is exactly where I am right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and that was one of the biggest things that I noticed about this game, because as you know, Joe, I, I did struggle a little bit with this title in the mm -hmm. very beginning. And this was something that I didn't appreciate nearly as much until I started to explore the side quests and 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 collectibles and you know uh, mm -hmm. uh, and doing like the research of the uh, what was it like the there, there's like these supernatural events you have to explore and oh god like those are hilarious like the, just I think the frontier missions yeah the, yeah the frontier missions yeah, yeah. yeah mm -hmm. like this is stuff that I didn't get to appreciate nearly as much until I did that. Um, because this is this is something about the game that yeah, there's a very stark contrast like you mentioned, but this is also one of those times where you will be exploring an area, 
and you'll just stop and let the camera pan mm-hmm. and and you'll just see you know like a, a mountain in the distance or you'll see like a huge outcropping you know side of a hill yeah. or something and and this is where you really get to marvel at the game mm-hmm. yeah the frontier is absolutely gorgeous and to me it's the highlight of the game like obviously like a lot of like the major story parts of this game do take place in uh boston new york city and it's not philadelphia you're not in philadelphia in this game why did i lose that boston new york you're in lexington you're in concord uh, yeah. but the frontier is gorgeous and initially it actually started out as kind of like an afterthought like it's like well, well we know we'll, we'll do some stuff in the woods uh and it was this tiny minor force level but by the time they were done with it um Again, the Chin No had talked about how he actually dreaded making the frontier because it was ended up being game size one and a half t- one and a half times the size of Rome from Brotherhood. Yeah. So it was yeah. huge, and he's like, "Well, it's huge. It's so open. The fuck are we going to put in it? <laughs> it's just <laughs> trees and rocks. It's visually stunning, but what am I going to do with all of that? So this is where like." all of the wildlife really comes in is because you have what what is it like at least 20 species that you can hunt in this game and interact with running around uh plus they have i think for the first time a truly like impactful interactive weather system in the game yeah now it's not like you know um some games where it's completely random where depending on like you could be both be people in the same point in time in the story playing on different consoles and have different weather. It's not that, but during certain parts of the story that take place in the winter, when you're running in the snow, let's say like in, in Boston versus running in the snow in the wilderness and suddenly like, Oh, this is fresh powder. It's not packed down. Nothing's been through here. You're dragging (laughs) as you're trying to run away from enemies. But what's also nice about the game is that not only are you affected by that weather, but at least like everything is affected by that weather. So if you're getting chased, they do slow down too. They're not just inexplicably faster through the snow. Um, So that was something that was completely new to the franchise, which this system got a massive overhaul. So not just in location, but actual programming itself. Yeah. Like uh, dynamism is kind of what comes to mind for me here. You know, Mm -hmm. when you, when you look at the, just the amount of movements that that Connor has compared to like Ezio, for example, mm-hmm. you know, free running has been a fun mechanic since the beginning of Assassin's Creed, right? But mm-hmm. it's pretty much run until you hit something and then you go up and you yep. start climbing, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> in, this, in this game, like free running actually felt like a, a fluid motion. Mm-hmm. Like the, the way that Connor moves with the environment is, is how like, it, it's like watching a dance almost. Yeah. Like, like the, the way that his his animations begin when mm-hmm. when he starts to run and he interacts with something like his body shifts a specific way and so it it's a totally different experience with with regards to that um and and i mean the the programming was there to to make all these new animations so yeah i mean it it was it was a triumph i think in that in that development cycle yeah absolutely and like all the assassin's creed games really try and go out of the way to have things be accurate whether that be um cultures civilizations settings but also the way like their characters move in this game specifically they had um parkour and free running consults 
and they would watch the game play and they'd be like counter runs how we want to run his form yeah. is fantastic with when he the way he absorbs a fall the way he's moving up buildings and moving through trees which in this game which again was an absolute first for the franchise being able to free run through trees and wilderness as fluidly as counter does in yeah. this game <laughs> so it's true because you remember watching Ezio in like two where he's running is almost like he's trying to push thick air you know like <laughs> he's like, like swimming his, in the atmosphere yeah, yeah yeah like his hands are like wide open and like he's it's like he's pushing off of like invisible legos to get mm -hmm. somewhere yeah you know, like, like, like this is a totally different look where you know his his back is actually like straightened and mm -hmm. he's he's running you know uh what do they call it uh, chin to hip you know proper running like yeah like, mm -hmm. like he actually looks like an athlete and <laughs> he, he should be you know mm-hmm yeah, for given given the character and his background and and what he is, it makes total sense. And going into one of those overhauls, um, one that I absolutely loved uh, going into it, and I know there was, I know you you weren't a fan of it initially, especially because we'd gotten so used to a a polished combat system for three games, and that is how Connor fought in this game, because that yeah. completely changed oh, when they went into this game. They they wanted the idea of we actually want you to be on the offensive as of like Ezio was very reactive and defensive through his three games. So like, nope, we want Connor to actually attack and be able to still react defensively, but we want the players to actually feel aggressive in this game. Well, and, and you go like as, as Ezio and uh, even Altair, you know, the, the draw of the original games was the counter system, mm -hmm. right? Like the counter animations were very violent. They were very cool. So like you wanted to wait until somebody tried to attack you. Yeah. And mm -hmm. and, th and then go with it. And, and and they built on that a little bit with Brotherhood and Revelations mm -hmm. where, you know, Ezio could chain an attack after, you know, a counter like that. Yeah. And so, you know, that, that was like the evolution at that point. But yeah, you're right. Like we go from, you know, almost like, I don't know, like hoity-toity master assassin that, you know, sticks his <laughs> pinky out. Mm -hmm. to to connor who yeah like you mentioned he is built to hurt people mm -hmm. he's not going to sit back and just wait for someone to you know to do uh miyagi do karate here <laughs> like like he's totally you know all up in uh at cobra kai life and he's kicking wholesale ass and so for me dude when i first started playing it um 2012 mark was a different mark i'll put it that way <laughs> he was used to the Ezio style of fighting mm -hmm. And this new combat system just did not gel with him. Yeah. So, but upon reviewing it and going back and playing it again uh, a couple of years ago, like, holy shit, was this one of the most brilliant changes I think they did. Yeah. I mean, I thought you were a one-man killing machine in, like, the Ezio trilogy. Mm -hmm. Like, like no, that that truly began with Connor. Oh, yeah. Like, when, he, when he, the counter system was incredibly simplified for this. So, basically, this is where you get, like, Ezio, like, you had to have, like, a fine, like, small, tiny window to time your your um, your um counter in. But as yeah. soon as you see the other enemies attacking, you just hit, you hit and hold square. And yeah. then they hit you while you're blocking for that counter. And then you can choose any of the other four attack commands to yeah. to like really decide how Connor is going to fuck this guy up. Oh god. And yes. oh it was so like rewarding with like either like like the tomahawk, the heavy weapon kills, 
um the firearm kills when he could start like because you could also this was the first game where you could truly dual wield anything because yeah. he's got his tomahawk his hidden blade can uh swivel and become a knife uh he can dual wield pistols in this game and oh my god when you got a counter cutscene, then to a chain kill those rewarding yeah. those animations were just so unbelievably rewarding and brutal to watch Oh, they were totally. And and that's once again, that's something I did not appreciate upon mm-hmm. my first playthrough. Cause it, I mean, the first playthrough, I never once mastered the system. Like when I first played it, I think I maybe put like 25 hours in at most. Mm-hmm. And by the end of it, it's like, yep, I got to the end of the game, but I was still trying to play Connor as an Ezio. Yeah. And, and it just didn't, I did not have a good time with it. And then it wasn't until I revisited it a couple of years later and then truly like said, yep, I'm going to figure out how to play and I'm going to, I'm going to get this down and get the timing down. And once I did, holy shit, it was like a, it was a totally different experience. And yeah, I kind of felt bad. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's cause it's, it's, it's really recognizing game at that point. Right. Like not, not not to be a pun either, but it's like, it's recognizing just how much they changed knowing they had a good game mm-hmm. and and evolving it you know so if anything that's that's like my biggest takeaway from like the pre-world of assassin's creed 3 was like we're already winning awards and selling a ton of games yep and we're finding a way to do it better already yeah so which i mean very bold to like again like i know like as a franchise as a whole again we we, we talked about that criticism of like pumping out a game like every year or every other year it seemed like and here they are basically saying we have a winning formula, but we're not going to rest on it. We can't just do the same thing over again. And yeah. that's what they really wanted to drive home with Assassin's Creed 3. So we've got that. This is the Anvil 3 game engine, which allows for the new combat system. We also have a new stealth system where Connor can hide into different stalking areas a lot easier and more frequently than anything in the past. But also something that was completely, absolutely brand new was naval combat in this game. Mm. That was something that hadn't been even remotely done before in the other four mainline Assassin's Creed games. And admittedly, when I first played this game, this was the only thing I didn't fully care for because it felt clunky and unrefined. But mm. when moving on to like entries like um, Black Flag and uh, Rogue, this is where... like they took that Assassin's Creed 3 mechanic with the naval play and polished it and perfected it. And I absolutely loved the naval stuff in Black Flag. So this was something where like, it basically felt like growing pains looking back on it, but it was totally worth it. Yeah, I mean, and I hate to use the trope of like, it's an extension of, but like Mm -hmm. in in 4, when you're in in the the Jackdaw, like it does feel like an extension of your your player, right? Like your, your character. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's that much fun, um, and yeah, in this it was it was used as a as a side mission mm-hmm. platform, yeah. right? And um, I obviously for me the 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 naval stuff, while it was an admirable attempt mm-hmm. at a game that was already full, of so much, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Looking back at that, it's like, okay, yeah, this is the first iteration, not going to be as hard in, in a retro sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I will be hard on with it, Joe, is, is one very specific naval mission that I still cannot stand that's tied <laughs> directly into full synchronization, which is when you have to destroy 
the munition stores in the boat that you're fighting mm-hmm. and and you have to hit the boat a very specific way in order to yep. expose it mm-hmm. and then somehow hit it the right way <laughs> <laughs> oh my god yep for fans of this series especially assassin's creed 3 if you've ever played this and wanted to get full synchronization you had to have been pulling your hair out for mm-hmm. that part i mean seriously that was the hardest thing to do in that game yeah yeah i i remember not enjoying it as much however i will say that that was the thing that definitely got me the most in this game we'll get to that later because what got me was also a side mission but speaking on side missions in naval combat believe it or not like naval combat was not originally intended to be a side thing it was meant to be like an actual integral part of the game because when they settled on the revolution they realized like just how important naval combat was in in the war and when especially when you had them going up against um the the royal uh, the royal navy which i think had at that time was like between 112 to 130 ships total and um the colonies had zero ships so they succeeded off of privateering and they basically took the war with piracy and gained ships because if you could successfully take a british ship or really any ship and get it intact and get it back to the colonies who were trying to at the same time also build a brand new fleet like you got i think a a good chunk of the actual for better for lack of better terms the booty involved in it uh any any treasure that was on there any gold tax money um weaponry you got a cut of all of that from the colonies so it was a huge incentive for people for pirates to go out and capture ships and bring them in there and it was like key battles like the battle of chesapeake bay which you do get to play in this game that helped like the colonies win the war yeah yeah and it's true i mean i mean uh i think of like the french blockades near the end of the war too kind of cutting off key travel routes for the british i mean that all that kind of stuff was on full display here Mm -hmm. um so I, I, it's interesting to know that it started off one way and went a different direction because, I mean, in a game that was that fully loaded with so many different aspects of this time period to explore, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of happy they didn't fully, you know, dive into the, into like the seafaring aspect of it. Yeah. Um, I, I think I, the strength of this game was, was much more like we've talked about kind of playing out in the wilderness mm-hmm. uh, and, and getting to see, you know some of this colonial history up close yeah you know, I, I really think that was the uh my key takeaway of it in the beginning mm-hmm. but but uh you know i let's let's shift from environment for a moment though yeah and and talk about the the brand new assassin for this that's game. true because this is where we get into again uh not only do they want that very distinct difference in setting from the previous games but we Basically, they're like, we can't have the same characters over and over again with different looks to them or different skins to them. We have to have different protagonists, different um, different supporting characters doing different things. Otherwise, you're just going to feel like you're doing the same thing. Like they had mentioned, um, like when Ben Franklin shows up in the game, like you're thinking, oh, here we go. Here's another Leonardo da Vinci. This is going to be your gadget dude. And then you find out he's just kind of a perverted old man and you never really hear from him again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That, that was like me all in the head territory, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> just a just horn dog out in the hunt. Like, oh, no. <laughs> Franklin, you dirty, dirty old man. <laughs> but 
Now, getting to the actual main character, we have someone who is half Mohawk and half British. And yes. we have Rado Hangaden. This is based off of the times that I've heard. I thought it was mm -hmm. pronounced Roton Haketan. And it's odd because, believe it or not, every character in the game pronounces it differently. Well, and, and that's mm -hmm. kind of what I, I focused on was like trying to hear because because they made sure that the, the native language was spoken yes. mm -hmm. the way that it should have been. So like when I was listening to it when he was like a younger, uh, you know, younger Connor, I, that's what I committed to memory was the Roton mm -hmm. Hakutetan. See, I can't even do it twice. Roton <laughs> Hakutetan. It's like it's hard to get it's pronounced by mm -hmm. with hitting each syllable. Like it's it, it's it's a, obviously you know it's not my native tongue but it's like yep either way it's 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 a cool name to look at i always yeah. admired it i always thought it was a cool because i what was it because remember when we were talking about the literal meanings of the names mm -hmm. um, his his name stood for like lone wolf didn't it no um connor's actually is 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 the what is actually attributed to to lone wolf, wolf. That's um, right. yes um his his mohawk name um which again the pronunciation is different in each character. Uh, basically, depending on who you talk to in the game, pronounces his name differently because the way you said it is how um, the um, I think it's the tribe mother says it. She yeah, pronounces it that way. Yeah. Um, and I think his mother, um, uh, Zio, um, pronounces it similar to it differently. But then you have his best friend of the game, Kanandoko, and he was actually of of everyone there of he was actually mohawk and i think he's also the one who actually uh helped other actors try and actually achieve the mohawk dialect and pronunciation uh while they were there and when you have him come in what not him but basically what connor's name uh redohan gaydon means a life that is scratched which when you look at connor as a character that is an incredibly like completely befitting meaning for who he is and what he has to go through in this game because connor is compared to like where you have like Ezio, who is this suave well-planned thought out um and very well brought up character not well brought up but had a very well upbringing with his parents you have connor who is again half mohawk and half british and because of that doesn't really completely fit in well in either world that he's born in, into and lives in yeah and very true. very true he's very direct as a character and this is what i usually as a heads up you can you may think that i'm, I'm, I'm like connor is i'm like i'm a fanboy he's my favorite assassin but a lot of people will criticize him in that like he doesn't think things through or that he's he's not a smart individual but i would argue completely different connor is a bit impulsive but he's just has such a very i don't want to say heightened sense but such a direct sense of justice and his personality is raw and it is direct so when he has something in his mind that he is right on he is going to follow it through no matter what now, something to kind of play off of that. Now, this is for those that want to fact check me, because I remember we talked about the names and their meanings way back in Assassin's Creed 
uh, A Universe Born, for those that remember <laughs> early season one of this mm -hmm. program. Uh, from my notes, I'm pretty sure that his, his Mohawk name um, stood for like he has begun to live. Ah, okay. So in the sense that you've mentioned, you know, maybe mm -hmm. that that could relate to it in a sense because he is just figuring out how to interact yeah. in this world, right? And mm -hmm. from from the two different worlds that he has been a part of historically. So to me, it makes sense that his his decision making might feel more absolute to us because mm -hmm. these are the first times that he's done them, right? Yeah. This is these are experiences that he's never had a, a mm -hmm. point of reference for, and and so justice may seem black and white to him right yeah and, and so maybe that could that could weave in and out of this if you want to go for deeper meaning you know? <laughs> um, well, yeah, no, I mean, yeah. yeah i mean that's what i love uh with this because connor gives us a legitimately unique perspective in the assassin's creed world um because of how the story actually starts in this game versus us transitioning to connor because for those of one of the one of the biggest again um one of the coolest things about this game that people also didn't quite like is that you spent probably a good two plus hours playing as Haytham Kenway at the start yes. of the story. As Haytham Kenway. Yes. The, the noticeably dusty yet dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> but, didn't you get that though? Like, I, I, yeah. I, I remember, I remember his, his, the way that his voice carries, it just reminded me of like, uh, just posh and like you know it's it's like you know here it's almost like obi-wan talking about rifle you know fighting it's like it's just so undignified uh but you know what i i was in that camp the first time i played yeah it. i'm like mm -hmm. who who is this man on my street that's <laughs> doing this thing that is, he's clearly not connor like who is no. this man no, this is not the guy I saw on the cover of Game Informer. What the <laughs> fuck is going on here? And at the same time, it was fun. Like, being Haytham Kenway and arriving in the colonies, and then suddenly you are rallying the troops to the cause because you're trying, like, first off, like the opening scene where he, like, assassinates someone in a balcony in the theater. Yeah. Awesome. Phenomenal. Yeah. And then you can feel like there's a greater purpose that needs to be done in the colonies. So he goes and gathers, he rallies people. He gets Charles Lee, Ben Church, William Thomas, Jonathan Pitcairn, and Thomas Hickney, all actual historical figures, by the way. Oh, yeah. Good old um, age, man. Yeah. Oh, man. That's, that's how he should be recognized in the He in should the be. Yeah. <laughs> hey, look, man. There's H. Ken. You got to get Thomas. You got to get Pitcairn. And don't forget about H. Man. You got to get H. Man. <laughs> <laughs> proto boston accents right mm -hmm. oh my god like the yeah boston beginning is what the boston begins is what we have here and you see all these people and when you're acting with Haytham, like they're respectable they are pillars of the community or likable ruffians um in the case of like thomas hickney and yeah. you're like okay this is the start of the game this is the start of the creed and then suddenly after you have really, really good things happen where you've got Haytham saving Zio and her, a part of her Mohawk tribe. And you can see like, this is the start of the relationship between the two characters. And also um, the uh, leads to the only historically accurate assassination of this entire game. Because when it comes to historical characters during the American revolution, no major general died. No yeah. major political figure died. None of them died, which, you know, made the creators pull the hair a little bit because, like, who are we going to kill? 
lot no of plot armor. A lot of plot armor. In so the, much in plot the armor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actual yeah. real life plot armor. This was, you got to remember, this is not like the Civil mm -hmm. War where like everybody just, you know, pulled up their bootstraps here and, and no. went, went a fight. And it's like, no, this is still back in an age where it's like, hey, look, I'm the chess piece. It's going to sit back here for a little while. Mm -hmm. I'm going to watch you guys just duke it out. Yes, okay? absolutely. Now, <laughs> something that I want to get into really quick here, Joe, is mm -hmm. that this is a major turning point for the Assassin's Creed series because mm -hmm. we end up shifting from the uh, the the absolutism of Assassins versus Templar, right? Mm -hmm. This this thousands upon thousands of years struggle that felt, you know, pretty you know pretty clear as to like what the narrative was, right? Yeah, like Assassins good, Templar bad, or mm -hmm. but now we're starting to blend lines a little bit, you know, yeah, we are. <laughs> and and Hatham, Hatham's a bridge to that, you mm -hmm. know, like you actually kind of find yourself liking Hatham. Like he's, he's got some redeemable qualities despite, yeah, despite doing some bad things. Yeah. Um, but this is when that narrative begins and it carries through mm -hmm. for like the next like five or six games in the yeah. series where like your ambiguity is off the charts. Completely, because like after we kill Braddock, again the only legitimate like historic actor assassination in the game, um, we're like, okay, things are established, we're settled, things are great. May the Father of Understanding guide us. Like, oh, yes. what the shit just happened? Yes. What the hell just happened? I just played two hours as a Templar. <laughs> what is going on? And like, oh, you yeah. had like small hints start happening because you can see that like on Hatham's um. On his spalder, you can see the assassin's logo, but it's like obscured. Yes. Yes. And it's like, well, maybe he's just hiding and he just doesn't want people to know he's an assassin. But it turns out, nah, he just used to be one and didn't like it anymore. Yeah, I mean, no like he. Yeah. No. And there's a very good reason for it, which mm -hmm. uh, I mean, technically, it's it's uh, not not the focus of today's conversation. No. But there's, there's very good reasons for that. And mm -hmm. you know what? Maybe we'll get there. We'll see how things go. Absolutely. We'll see. We'll see how things shape up. But now we shift perspectives to young Connor hanging out in the woods with his mother. And basically, in this time of the game, you're learning game mechanics a lot more because yeah. when we were with Hatham, like we got used to the new combat system a little bit and a little bit of the free running. But here we get used to like the hunting mechanic that's introduced in the game and is really, in my mind, one of the more fun parts of this game because. I cannot count or begin even to fathom how many beavers I killed in this game. Oh, the beaver killing. Yeah. Just because one, their pelts are worth the most in the game. But on top of that, <laughs> the weird noise they make when they go down. <laughs> they, like, I've never actually heard a beaver in my real life. No. But if they make that sound, that's the closest I could probably ever get to like, I think I'm going to kill the animal for the sake of killing the animal. Oh, and I would never do that. But yeah, maybe at least threaten it so it would make the sound and make it think I, its I, life is in danger and leave it be. I was going to say, not maybe not kill the beaver, but at least not back into a it. corner and, you know, and shout expletives and just see what happens. You know, Yeah, maybe pull a knife and it'll just out of, out of fright go, okay, we're good. <laughs> we're good, sir. You know, here's, here's some salty wood for you. I know you like that flavor. Sorry about this. I'm going to go. We'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it is a good point that the, the mechanics you have to explore because it's mm -hmm. it's all brand new. These are things that we had absolutely like no priming whatsoever yeah. coming into this. Um, and it also is a is a way of of showing how uh, his community lived at that time, too. Yeah. 
Mm -hmm. I mean, you're, you're literally doing like trapping exercises, you know, you're, you're setting out bait, you're, mm -hmm. you're setting up hoops to trap things. Uh, and all of that felt, you know, it felt like a, a day in the life, you know? Yeah. So, so it, it was not so much, you know, oh, this is just standard tutorial where you press a button mm -hmm. and thing happen. It's like, no, no, it's like, you're, you're actually getting to see uh, real life mixed with, you know, with this fictional tale. And so I, I really did want to, um, it, it's, it feels so strange to talk about this mm -hmm. game this way based on how you and I first met and, yeah. <laughs> and you're like, dude, you hate Assassin's Creed 3. And I'm like, dude, I can't stand it. I'm sorry. <laughs> and I didn't get it. I'm like, I love Assassin's Creed 3. I had I Ezio in my it. eyes. Ezio yeah. there. Mm -hmm. looking at me, Joe. <laughs> you look at him. Look at me. Look at him again. Now look at me. <laughs> this is where you want to be. And, and it's like, I did. I loved I loved Ezio. I was, I was a, mm -hmm. I'm still a hardcore Ezio fanboy, oh, yeah. okay? Uh, if Roger Craig Smith ever wants to accept our invite, he can we'll come on in. You know, we'll get him. I believe but... in us. <laughs> but well, as yeah. you're saying, like to the credit of, like you know, like you say, a day in the life. Like they had um, consults and people from the Mohawk Nation coming in and showing them like the traditions and uh, traditions that were held then and how they 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 are still held around now. And yeah. as well as like the style of houses they live in, what the clothing looked like. So Ubisoft had this brilliant blueprint of, of Mohawk life in like, you know, the northern east part of the United States. Mm -hmm. And it's at this point when you're used to it now a day in the life, we can see young Connor living with Zio. And then, then Charles Lee shows up. He's so smug. Smug and just a downright dick. Yeah. Because he is there to basically scope out the land and basically want it for Templar control and for their overall plan, which we don't quite know yet. We just know they're there because we played as them for two and a half hours. Mm -hmm. And this is the point where, again, you get this completely unique perspective in a Assassin's Creed game where you are seeing the same characters, but you're seeing them how Connor, a member of a different culture, a different yeah. background and a different life sees the same people that we got used to seeing and playing with when we we're on their side. And it's not even like we're seeing it's like, oh, I guess Charles Lee's a bad guy now because it turns out he's a Templar. But you see the way he treats Connor and he treats the Mohawk in this game. And you're like, Charles Lee's a bad person. Like yeah. you have a completely different mindset. It's not just like he's he's not a villain for the sake of being a villain you legitimately hate charles lee the way he refers to calling connor um he and his ilk completely satisfied with their life in the dirt yeah and you see how much he looks down upon the mohawk and yeah. the native nations of the of um the americas at that time and you're given legitimate reason as to why you should not like this person yeah yeah i mean it's it's uh I would say it's it's pretty much uh, reminiscent of a storyline that that occurs in The Walking Dead, mm -hmm. where uh, Negan's second in command like just cannot seem to follow orders, um, mm -hmm. and and uh, I don't want to ruin it too much because if folks are still watching that show, you may want to actually explore that. <laughs> but it's but it's true though. It's like it's it's a it's a standard chain of command issue where you know Haytham is clearly the one in charge. Haytham's the mm -hmm. one 
you know, calling the shots. And then you've got Charles Lee kind of going off on his own and, yeah. and, and really causing some issues. And so, mm -hmm. and I, I don't want to say issues in a minimizing way because he, yeah. he effectively murders his, his entire village and it's just, does. it's just awful. And mm -hmm. yeah. So, I mean, like the stage is set for sure uh, at that point. And, Unfortunately, as is the case is with a lot of Assassin's Creed, it's mm -hmm. tragedy kind of vaulting people into uh, the Brotherhood before they're ready. Yeah, uh, I mean, and that's that's what we we see with Connor here, and this kind of sets the stage. Like, okay, this is giving another revenge story, yeah. but as the story shapes up again, this is less a story about revenge and more about again in Connor's mind, this is justice, not revenge, because this is. An obliteration of people for the sake of them being who they are, especially in that. And that's that's the mind of Charles Lee in this game. And when you're Connor and like kind of like like Ezio, like Ezio watched his family get hanged. And mm -hmm. then you have Connor who is actively trying to save his mother because Ezio, like he was basically held back. There's he's in a crowd. He can't really do anything. But Connor was the right there in the burning long home trying to save his mother and failed. Yeah, And so that just, you know, unimaginable amount of weight that's now on him as a character. And after that happens, um, this is where we we get a we actually take a break from being Connor for a while. I think one of the things the second time you do it and you go to actually the the modern storyline as um, Desmond um, and which also the case of this game. In my opinion, single handedly, the best game at the modern storyline out of any assassin's creed game because it's not just desmond escaping or desmond on the run but you get desmond on the offensive in this game where he's infiltrating the abstergo he's going on assassination missions he is more active in trying to find pieces of eden instead of just saying like oh i guess we have to scramble to get it. it's like no i'm gonna get the apple and he does get an apple and it's freaking awesome but when we get back to connor we're now in his teenage life he is in a different um he's with i guess at this point like a recovering group of of mohawk and yeah. things of course will go not necessarily astray again but there's there's hints that bad things are on the way and something needs to change so we get uh i think this is where we we get a lot more interaction with the den mother of the mohawk and it's revealed that um specifically connor's group of mohawk that he's with have been guarding like a sacred temper that turns out to be a connection to the forerunner race that mm -hmm. is also this this larger backstory of assassin's creed um and that uh connor has to find a way to defend it from falling into the hands of charles lee and hatham and hatham kenway so she sends him on a mission to meet a man named achilles yeah good old achilles yes that's, achilles that uh, some people when their first playthrough played so little <laughs> somehow brought him back to life yes so <laughs> when we meet achilles um and this is right back going into connor's character is you have his father is absent his mother dies he meets people that absolutely hate him and then he meets achilles hoping to find finally someone who's going to hate them or not hate them find someone who's going to help him yeah and he's like get the fuck off my property like i don't want you anywhere near me and yeah. Connor has to kind of prove that he's worth being trained and being um, a help and looked after uh, with Achilles for Achilles to even do anything with him. Yeah. And yeah. so now we're introduced to actually now a similar mechanic that we've had um, 
and that is the homestead. The homestead basically ends as uh, uh, acts as Monteregioni from the Assassin's Creed Two, and Monteregioni is gone and part of Brotherhood, but it's yeah. it's it, it fades in Brotherhood. Um, yeah, it, it gets it gets kind of destroyed fully at the very beginning, but it gets it gets blown cameo. up good. Yeah, cameo. yeah, cameo. <laughs> But anyway, so um, you've got Achilles living on this basically rundown homestead or rundown estate. So this is your opportunity to fix up the estate and bring in income so that you can keep earning money in the game. And the way you do that, instead of um, by buying banks and businesses and art galleries, is that you basically invite people to work on your homestead with you. You can get um, basically lumber workers, miners. Um, you can and miners like someone who mines, not children. We're not doing child labor in this game. Uh, you can get uh, a hunter and seamstresses to work for you in this game and doing things with you. And you have to do small missions to help them work with you. And you do get farmers, uh, farmers as well. And here on the frontier, doing a side mission for the farmers, not the frontier, I'm sorry, the homestead. This is where I had to walk away from the game for a while because there's a particular mission for the farmers on the homestead where you have to corral their pigs back into their pen (laughs) and the pigs don't make any fucking sense at all when you try interacting with them sometimes they'll just walk at you they'll walk away from you they'll suddenly go diagonally and i'm like what are they doing i can't herd them and what makes things even worse is that i'm frustrated whenever you make a mistake Connor gets incredibly frustrated and is like, why am I even doing this? Why am I helping these people? And I'm like, I don't know, man. I'm losing the plot here. Fuck these pigs. These are farmers. It's their job. They should take care of them. But you can't because you need to give 100% synchronization. Uh, yeah, that, that I remember you and I, because you helped me play through some of this to kind of mm-hmm. get me over the hump uh, on my original playthrough. And and I just remember you being almost like spooked to even <laughs> to even like, jump in there. These fucking pigs again, man. I don't know about this. <laughs> but, I don't know about but, it. But then you did on the first try, and it was like it I was know. Never... Like, what? <laughs> it was what? Are you kidding? This like it literally. It felt like hours trying to beat those pigs. My first time through, oh. I played with you, and it's like I got in the first try. I'm not that good. Yeah. I'm not sure why this happened, but they yeah. did. And and this is how Achilles also came back to life for Mark because he'd done almost none of the homestead missions. Uh, he'd only done ones that were kind of like there are a few that like they they require as a part of the main storyline, like you have to do this to move the story along. But as soon as you were done doing that, you didn't touch him. It's However, crazy to think it's even possible. It really. <laughs> <laughs> but Achilles shows up in these side missions and these in these homestead missions and. So when Mark gets to the point where, spoiler alert, Achilles dies in the main story, um, and I go back to do these these homestead missions for him, Achilles comes running out of the door to help someone. We're like, wait a second. He's dead, (laughs) but he's still in here. You know what? It'll be fine. Like We'll just see him during this and things will go back to normal. But then when you beat a homestead mission, Achilles is still hanging out like on the front porch in a rocking chair just doing stuff. And we legitimately brought him back from the dead. Yeah, he's. I mean, there was that one point where he actually walked over his own grave. Yeah, and, and I, I, <laughs> I still can't believe that that's how little I initially played this game. Yep. I mean, it's it's <laughs> it's mind-boggling how that can even happen. But mm-hmm. but yeah. It, so we we've talked about how you know Connor 
you get to see how his you know his his uh, his tribe lives and his people live mm-hmm. um this is also a chance to see how colonial you know uh, america lived yeah. at, at the same time so you know you get to see uh, how each individual aspect of the of the homestead behaves whether it's mm-hmm. you know hunting or uh you know folks making their own clothes you know the the farming aspect all of that stuff i mean it's 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 its own ecosystem that you get a chance to to tailor for yourself and so um so i mean the, you can definitely tell the research was well well spent uh none of it felt as as ridiculous as some aspects of of uh the Ezio trilogy where it's like a side mission was to just run a letter across town before a timer runs out (laughs) and it's like (laughs) okay uh Mm -hmm. why is the timer important Um, yeah you know (laughs) does it matter that i get the letter to them in five minutes exactly like i have to traverse rome like come on (laughs) yeah i was gonna say (laughs) is this woman who's waiting for a letter from her lover going to die if i don't make it in five minutes Mm -hmm. uh is the renaissance there are diseases it could have happened it's true you could she could have died of syphilis within that five minutes but (laughs) yeah that that, so once again this is another Mm -hmm. strength of assassin's creed 3 where it's like if you're observing these people because that's one of the, the the synchronization and um one of the entry data entry points that you need to get like the achievements is to uh, complete the encyclopedia of the modern of modern man and it was to actually physically observe what these people are doing mm-hmm. um which can be equally interesting and frustrating yep sometimes um, the uh the little little triggers are supposed to start things don't always trigger them and that <laughs> triggers you in turn <laughs> Yep. Sometimes you have to wait literally whole seasons before things actually shift, which can take a while. <laughs> um, <God>. Yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, and and once again, this mm-hmm. is a vessel that they or well, Connor is the vessel to to kind of explore all this. And so mm-hmm. um so yeah, it is interesting how the homestead in a way uh advances the brotherhood, but it also advances Connor and yeah. and his journey and what he goes through. Um and which kind of puts him uh mel gibson style right into the thick of the revolution (laughs) it really (laughs) does yeah yeah because one of the first things that we we get to be a part of as far as like the revolution in history in in the history goes is we get to see the boston bicycle happen this is during a time when connor is still proving himself to achilles um but achilles is at least letting him sleep in the house and not in um, the horse stable anymore but they go to boston and they're watching the tensions begin to rise in uh in the square and then a gunshot goes off and someone goes down and run the rooftops watching the whole thing and lo and behold from an adjacent rooftop across the square we see charles fucking lee Mm. with a pistol just gunning people down and then of course from there like who must have shot it was probably the british and the massacre ensues and then at this point, um, because Charles Lee is with Haytham, Haytham being down on the ground by the British soldiers after things start to go a little crazy, points out that there is a Native American on a rooftop, and that's suspicious during this time because yeah. they're not white. Uh, so your attention's brought on Connor, and you have to escape from the area within a certain time period because everything's within certain time periods in Assassin's Creed. Uh, you get out of there and after you successfully maneuver that that situation uh, you do like one more um what is passed off as like a a frontier mission 
And in that frontier mission, you're going to grab a package that's literally in a cave in the middle of nowhere. It turns out that's where Achilles has left um, an assassin's garment for Connor. But we don't know if this was supposed to be like Achilles' like suit that he had left there over the years, or if somehow this old man using a cane has gone in the middle of nowhere after he had had this this tailored and hit it there for Connor to find. <laughs> um, it's one of those two things, both impressive. Um, and the hits where we finally hit, I think, really the true act three of the game, because we had act one is Haytham, act two is young Connor and teenage Connor, and now we hit act three. And Connor yeah. is a full, fully-fledged assassin at this point. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he's, he's totally... He's, mm-hmm. he's killed and he will kill again. Darn and, right. And I, I think it's important to 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 parse out a couple of things here, like you've kind of touched on. Like, yeah, the Hatham definitely powers through Act One. Mm-hmm. Um, we get to see Connor yeah, really lean into what some people thought was like arrogance about him. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't really know if it was so much arrogance as as it was kind of what we, we mentioned with literally the meaning of his name was that he's he's just trying to understand the world right yeah i mean he he's only the sum of his experiences at this point and mm-hmm. and it's not until he he becomes an adult as many of us do here where he begins to think you know more critically about the world around him and and what his place is in it as we've talked about before he is someone who has one foot in in a different world right mm-hmm. like or each foot's in a different world so um I think that's really the strength of this this quote unquote third act of the game because yeah. um, you really truly get to see what that looks like. At times it's struggle, at times it's prejudice. Mm-hmm. You know, it, uh, at times it's literally just him being pissed off at Achilles for being Achilles. And yep, uh, I think folks will will understand that if they play the game. But yeah, if you get to deal with a stubborn old man, you are not going like you're going to butt heads. It's just <laughs> yeah. going to happen. And Achilles <laughs> is a stubborn old man. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. And one thing that also like I learned like, of all the things like you learned from this game, I learned that I've been using the phrase bury the hatchet wrong literally my entire life. Cause at a, at a point that gets used in this game and it turns out like you bury the hatchet into a pole at the start of a conflict and you remove it when it's done. You don't bury it afterwards. You don't bury the hatchet to say it's all done. Like, no, you bury a hatchet to say shit's going down now. Like, <laughs> I've been told bury the hatchets basically when it's time to like make a peaceful resolution my whole life. And I've been wrong. Thank you. Assassin's Creed for teaching me. Well, I mean, Joe, it's not like people could just, I mean, we'd be, we'd have a hatchet shortage, Joe. I mean, it's just <laughs> hatchets everywhere. <laughs> Never getting pulled out. Just stuck in the poles everywhere. Hey, you're mowing your lawn and all of a sudden, boom, you get a hatchet in your blade. It's like right there. Like shit. It's like, Oh what, what, my God. It's like, but, I have, is this an assassin's training ground or is this just my <laughs> luck today? I don't know. Here we go. Hatchet's fine everywhere. <laughs> Must be a sale on these things. Everyone's mad. And I guess it's I guess it's kind of a relief that that's not how we mark the start of conflict anymore. I mean, I would I would hate to wake up in the morning on my front porch and then there's just some dude out there with a hatchet just crams it into my deck and then walks off. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> I was scared now. I was scared when I saw them with a hatchet. Less scared, but still scared, knowing that he's still mad at me. Um but touching it again about how Connor literally is all up in the American Revolution in this game. Oh, it's, like it's, you get uh, to see him in everything. It's almost it's almost obnoxious how many mm-hmm. how many events that he he's in, and that's why I said it's like it's almost like the Mel Gibson tells history series here, where he just <laughs> plops himself into every major engagement. Mm-hmm. 
you, you know, some of this is is fun to kind of watch unfold. Mm-hmm. You've mentioned, you know, the the Boston Massacre, the Boston Tea Party is another obviously major event that occurs yep. here. The one that always, always is the one that I take I take issue with is two guys, one horse. Paul Revere's ride. ride Paul Revere. Yep. Two guys on one horse are not riding that quickly. No, just... that's that's even me. Like as much as I loved the game, the first time I played through, I'm like, you know, there has to be another horse somewhere. There's got to be. You can call them willing to like they're walking around randomly in the streets. You're telling me we didn't have time to just, hey, here's your horse. I'll just run quick and get my own. We couldn't do that. There was no time for that. They're everywhere. It was actually you focus. can just whistle the horses. The horse was the Ford Focus of the American Revolution. It's like you, yeah. you, you, you saw it everywhere. It's like there, mm-hmm. there's that was the only time where I was playing this game <laughs> where I was. This is the first time. This is the second time. Mm-hmm. I'm just on this horse with Paul Revere. I'm like going, there had to be a better way to do this. Oh, completely better way. Yeah. And yeah, like, even even other games in the series up to this point had it where there were two different people on horses and you had to stay close. Yep. So it's not like it couldn't have been done. It's just no. This was just the choice they made. Mm-hmm. I, I I know if there's the uh, the game's attempt at humor, thinking this would be funny, making Connor again this this raw, direct, um, very forward individual, kind of have to like I don't know, hold his tongue and suck it up and have someone ride on a horse with him. Um, but because I mean, there, there's no way that's comfortable. Two people riding on a horse like that? No, no way. You can't sell me on that being comfortable for anyone. But that being the annoying one, looking back on some of my favorite like interactions with historical batters in this game, one is definitely the one you see in the original trailer for the game, and that's the battle oh, yes. with Bunker Hill yeah. when you're going after Pitcairn. And God, it was just fun. Like it was one of the first times where I felt like um in an Assassin's Creed game, like Revelations, you do a really good job of actually because the game starts from the trailer. Yeah, um, it does. It does. Whereas in this game, like you lead up to it, like, oh my God, this is the trailer. This was that awesome, awesome trailer I saw, except for when they put that weird coming home song into the back of it and it didn't make any sense. Um, no. yeah. It was 2012, Joe. It was mad. Mad, it was. mad times we lived in. You know, mad. it was the end, end of the world. We didn't know what's going on. End happen. of the world. We didn't know what to do. So we're, we're going home. But anyway, like you get to play in it and it was so much fun. Like, um, again, seeing Connor like we talked about how like one he's got a foot in two worlds and doesn't really fit it in either because you've got um uh Putnam who doesn't believe Connor can do it but like fuck ahead try anyway I don't believe you you crazy bastard and then yeah. even in the trailer you see Connor walking the front lines and they're like colonial soldiers trying to stop him he's like fuck off I'm gonna do this I've got to get this done and he goes to fight the British and when you're playing it and you're you're basically going from cover point to cover point and it's exciting because you can see like the British troop lines, like actually in formation, raising rifles, and you know you're running out of time. Yeah, and you've got to get to a point quickly, otherwise you're taking damage. So having you go from spot to spot, place to place, and you've got the mini map of the battlefield, trying to like find the best way to safely get across things was just so much fun and so exciting to pull off. And then when you finally get to Pitcairn and you get to take him out, like one of the best payoffs in the game is you get to live the trailer. It executed very well. And it was, it was fun and in, in almost in its purest form for me in this game. Well, and that's a good point that you bring up because the, the trailers for Assassin's Creed games are always stylized and they're, 
they would only get more grand over mm -hmm. time, almost to the point where sometimes you almost forget that you're watching a CGI created, yeah. you know, experience. Um, and so, yeah, when, when it came to this game, like in the Ezio series, like you mentioned in Revelations, we only get the one time where a cinematic that's used for the ad for the game mm -hmm. weaves into the story. The rest of it's just like, yep, these are some random events that happen that never yeah. actually, you know, have any meaning. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, for this, I mean, I think this is kind of the culmination of what a lot of people were hoping for when we, when it was announced that there was going to be a revolutionary era game, American revolution that is. And this does end up being kind of the hype the, the, mm -hmm. This this is the hype moment for the game. You're out there, you're killing redcoats, and that's what a lot of people wanted to do. Oh yeah, yeah. So, sorry for the contingent of of our audience that that listens from the UK. <laughs> yeah, we apologize, <laughs> and we also understand that that was another criticism of the game is that it, this was basically gonna be like a rah rah go America, America. We're just gonna kill them redcoats. But as you play the game, like you find out, like yeah. Pitcairn's an issue, but you know, Charles Lee is like as a part of the colonial army, he's one of the higher ups in the colonial army. Um, you've got Ben Church, who's actually well, I guess he he was the colonials and betrayed and went to the British. Um, but Connor's got enemies on both sides of this conflict. Oh, totally. And that's where there is a line from Connor in this game that is beautiful, where he says, My enemy is not a nation, but a notion. Mm. And or my enemy is a notion, not a nation. Because in his mind, anyone who is actively trying to put down human, put down humans for almost any reason, whether it be the Templars for saying that humans just thrive and control and we shall be their controllers, or people, you know, acting from a place of racism and slaughtering, you know, the Mohawk at wholesale, is yeah. that's that's Connor's enemy. Anyone who seeks to do that is his enemy, whether it be the crown or the colonials. That's what he's trying to do. So, and again, that plays into like, this isn't just a revenge story. This isn't just a go America, the revolution story. This no. is Connor truly fighting for justice and what he believes and what he believes and what the assassins believe should be. And that is true freedom and hopefully peace through that. Well, this is something that I don't have committed to memory. So I will read this excerpt directly from Connor. Cause I think, I think this, this was one of the, the times when like I was replaying it, that this really kind of turned mm -hmm. my opinion from someone that wanted to judge this game to someone who really bought into the narrative and really felt its message. And I'll, I'll read this to you. Um, so th this is where Connor kind of mentions his full circle, like opinion of what's going on mm -hmm. um, and, and where he fits within the assassin world. But he says, uh, the assassins may struggle another thousand years in vain. But we will not stop. I realize now that it'll take time, that the road ahead is long and shrouded in darkness. It is a road that will not always take me where I wish to go, and I doubt I will live to see its end, but I will travel down it nonetheless. Like when I when I heard that, mm -hmm. uh, and it, it's it, it also weaves into some other things he says throughout the the end game, but it's like for him, it's not about life or death, it's about standing for what's right. And I mean, who who can't relate to that? <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, it's it's a message as strong as any that mm -hmm. you will see throughout this entire series. And so, yeah, definitely yeah. worth appreciating. And, I know that's a part of um, Connor's basically his final monologue in the original game. And I I think it was removed from the remaster for some reason. And for the life of me, I can't figure out why. Because just space. 
Probably. Maybe they just lost it on accident. Like, oh, that <laughs> fuck, that whole thing's gone. It's too late now. The game's out there. We're not patching it. <laughs> like, it's it's definitely done. Um, but God, like this game, like on top of that, so we've got Connor again really trying to grasp and hold on to these the assassin's values because he learns of how much they align with what he truly believes. And then and then we reunite with Haytham for not once, but twice. The first time we, we, we meet Haytham is very early on with Connor coming, becoming assassin and Haytham almost kills him, but yeah. decides to spare him. But the second time, they actually have to team up because they're going after Ben Church. And because again, Ben Church was working with Haytham, but then decides, screw the Templars, I'm going to work for the Crown. I'm specifically going to work for the British. So he he steals some supplies that he was supposed to be stolen from the colonials and given to the Templars, but now he's going to give them to the British instead. So for a short period of time, Hathen and Connor align. And we get this basically battle of ideals between the assassins and the Templars. And again, for the first time, we're seeing that the Templars actually don't, like they do want the same thing as the assassins. And the way Hatham actually puts it for quite a while, it's like, you know what? Not only do they want the same thing, but I think they're kind of right. And not only is Connor struggling with that as as a character, but we as the audience struggle with it too. And I mean, it's true. Uh, I, I remember looking at this almost as how a lot of children have squabbles with their parents about mm -hmm. <laughs> not, not just about a world order, but just about you know getting to go to a party on Saturday night. Mm -hmm. Like like there are some aspects of that relationship that you kind of feel that with, um, but. But once again, this is the ambiguity of what Assassin's Creed starts planting in you at this point, mm -hmm. at this juncture, this crossroads of the series, is that, you know, Assassins want free will because of free will. Mm -hmm. You know, Templars want freedom, but they want to be able to control how we get to freedom. And and that's that's been the the real struggle behind the series to this point. Um, but yeah, it's it becomes a gray area because... The, there is the Venn diagram of killing to advance your narrative and both the assassins and the Templar do this. Some would say the assassins try to justify their killings, whereas the Templars kill as a means to an end. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it is a, a point that I think in some ways muddies the Assassin's mm -hmm. Creed universe to the point where you as the player uh, never truly know if you're supporting the right side anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, it is confusing. It's, it's, um, you can see it's, it's playing on Connor's face. Connor is feeling what you're feeling. <laughs> mm -hmm. Completely. <laughs> and time. during that conversation, they bring up a really good, like historical piece in this too. And actually a quote from Roger Aaron Brown, the man who played Achilles, he had said that the directors, writers, and producers of Assassin's Creed three, uh, probably know more about American history than most Americans. And it's during this this conversation um, in the church with Haytham and Connor that we really see that like they're not going to hold back over, you know, American history and the truth of it, because uh, you've got Haytham bringing up the fact that there are people like actually want to be controlled, that they, they thrive with a strong leader who is going to tell them what to do. And that's what they crave and what they need. And Connor brings up, well, if that's what you think, then your mouth has tasted sour grapes because the people chose Washington. They wanted someone to support freedom. And 
Hatham immediately cuts him off and says, the people chose nothing. These are a group of men who met in private and made decisions to support their own personal interests. Sure, yeah. they dressed up with fancy words, but the only but they still want control nonetheless. And the only difference between me and them is that I don't feign affection. Yeah. And then it's like, yeah, that's true. Like the Continental Congress and all these early meetings with um, colonial revolutionists, like they weren't inviting the public to this. Like they were closed no. meetings. They were going to be decided by people who owned land and owned businesses and had basically they felt that their interests were the ones being restricted the most. And that's why they wanted the British gone, not necessarily for the good of the people. And I'm not like, I'm not, I'm not going to do like a like a, like a complete historical backdrop and say our founding fathers were these awful people, but you know, I would be remiss to like, not say that they, they definitely had their interests in the forefront of wanting to have it be their own country. Once again, I'm going to lean on Mel Gibson's history telling here and it's it's the idea of uh, supporting one tyrant three thousand miles away versus three thousand tyrants one mile away. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's it's uh, it is true that mm -hmm. you know that this this was not just a decision uh, for Connor to make; it was a country's decision too, quote unquote, through these these founding fathers. And so, yeah, there, there there's a lot of um, ideologies at at play here that get explored. Mm -hmm. um, and and yeah, I mean, it's it's fun to once again have connor be that that mouthpiece to interact with the past not just functionally as an ancestor of desmond miles but mm -hmm. but actually being involved in in these historical elements of the game so yeah i mean his, his struggles with his dad with haytham um i mean it, it I, I honestly wish we had a little bit more time with it mm -hmm. you know like yeah you've got some meaningful interactions but it, it almost makes you think if they had one more uh, therapy session, yeah. <laughs> does, they may have, does that yeah. end differently? You know, it might. And I'll, we'll bring that up again um, when we get to our, our last mission with Haytham. But getting back to that track. So Connor does struggle that he begins to think, you know, maybe maybe we can bring Haytham back to the assassins. Maybe we can work together and we can figure out a way to end this war since we do ultimately want the same thing. Achilles, mm -hmm. not a fan of that idea. Um, so he, he is, he is open with that with Connor, but at least we've gotten to the point in the game where when these two butt heads, they're more respectful about it with each other early in the game with cranky old man, Achilles very much that, you know, I'm right. You're wrong. Do what, do what you're told. And now he's, he's respecting Connor's ideas more, but it's still very much like you can't turn hate them. He's, he's too far gone. So you've got Connor continuing to hunt down the rest of Hatham's inner circle. Um, and we get to a point where we're at Valley Forge and we're still kind of working with Hatham. And you find out um, that Washington's actually ordered basically the slaughter of the Mohawk in a given mm -hmm. area because they've been there have been reports of them working uh, for the crown or aiding the crown. And when Connor finds that out, this is again basically his last straw where he's not going to be fully like oh my gosh father you were right he's like no you've been saying that information for a while and you've refused to tell me you've mm -hmm. done this for your own gain washington clearly i've been helping you out and this is how you repay me i'm going to go and help my people and if anyone turns to follow me or stop me i will kill them where they stand and then connor goes off uh to to save his people 
And when Connor arrives, because basically he found out that, uh, well, like I said, his his people are going to be slaughtered. Um, he finds his best friend, Kanondoko, is there, and he's been convinced by Charles Lee that Connor was in on this whole thing. And is basically blinded with rage because, and also it's well known that Connor is helping Washington. So you get a struggle between um, between Kanondoko and, and Connor. It ends up in Connor killing Kanondoko, his yeah. childhood friend. So we have this continued loss for Connor where he's lost his mother, he's lost his people. Um, he gets Achilles, who at first doesn't even seem to like him. His father hates him. Uh, and now he kills like his one true friend in the world because his one true friend has also abandoned him. And yeah. it just, again, it paints on that whole idea, not only, again, a life scratched, but truly a lone wolf, because yeah. Connor is in this on his own. I mean, almost every aspect of his past and present in some way becomes lost for him, right? I mean, mm -hmm. obviously it happens with his, his his mother. It happens with, you know, like you mentioned, his best friend, his his quote on his father who honestly was more of a sperm donor but either way yep. mm -hmm. uh either almost every aspect of this occurs uh ends in tragedy and the same thing goes for for even his mentor achilles mm -hmm. you know we lose everybody along yeah. the way um which kind of leaves him with nothing more than to figure out what is your place in this world because nobody else mm -hmm. is really going to be there to help him figure it out anymore no i mean yeah almost every decision uh, almost everything up to that point, he's had at least some decisions to make and and mm -hmm. kind of bouncing it off of other people. But now it's like, nope. Yeah. <laughs> this is quote unquote act four. This mm -hmm. is the part where you have to get your shit together. And, you know, what do you do next? Absolutely. Like, as you said, Achilles, I think he passes away just from, I think it's just old age. I don't think he, he I think they may say he's he's sick, but I think mostly just tired and, and he I passes think away. The journal entry was, um, I'm getting too old for this shit. <laughs> Signed, Detective Murtaugh. Uh, <laughs> and Achilles, Achilles, Achilles leaves us once and for all, despite the fact that you may still have some, some homestead missions to take care of. Uh, but the revolution is still going on. Uh, we still have to stop that and stop the overall Templar plot, which does involve finding a piece of Eden because Charles, we failed to mention this whole time, is that Charles Lee does have uh, an amulet that is leading him somewhere, which is also why he's kind of also kind of going off on his own thing. Um, yeah. Hathen does reveal that he's trying to basically limit his attacks to stopping and thwarting the revolution for the sake of the Templars, where Charles Lee is more focusing on the precursor sites. Yeah, But you have... Connor, because of his victory at the Chesapeake Bay, is also what allows for the shelling of New York City and some of the final um, outposts of the British to be taken down. And this is also during that shelling is where he comes into contact with Haytham for the last time. Yeah. So they have their final conflict. Connor defeats Haytham, kills Nathan, Haytham. And in that classic Assassin's Creed style, we do get that basically moment within a moment where yeah. we've assassinated someone and now we get this intimate conversation between the two and Hatham's last words in there are that Connor has admirable qualities. Uh, you are strong, you're committed and you're brave, all admirable things. And then the last thing he says 
is I should have killed you long ago, right before he dies. Yeah. So it's kind of like this, this final fuck you to Connor because he had this whole idea that maybe there's a chance to turn his father. Now there is no chance to turn his father, but he still has dreamable qualities. And the last thing his father says to him is I should have killed you. Yeah. And it's like, fuck things. just Again, things just get worse for him. Every turn of the story, despite I, the I, fact that he's still succeeding throughout the whole story. But once again, this this is the continuing uh, galvanization of of Connor. You know, like the, these are the things that um, that lead him to 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 fix his position in the ground mm-hmm. and and stand for what he believes in. I mean, uh, unfortunately, killing his father had to happen. Yeah, you know, based on the decisions that he made and what he decided was right and wrong. And mm-hmm. I mean, Joe, if if someone's willing to kill their parent for an ideal. I'm guessing I'm guessing he had a fairly good reason for it. <laughs> a fairly good reason or a seemingly good plot device that gets reversed in the next movie very, very poorly. Oh well uh, yeah. yeah. Looking at you, Kylo Ren, in yeah. your shitty, shitty sequel trilogy. God, you're horrible. <laughs> but anyway, um now that Haytham is gone, the only target left is Charles Lee the true antagonist of this game because he was he was the first character you were really on board with killing like fuck this guy he needs to get taken out and you do get this very very beautiful last fight between the two basically running through a shipyard yeah critically injuring each other and eventually ending up at a bar and just sitting down and having a drink with each other before connor finally finishes off charles lee and it is this interesting moment where you can see that they have this out of respect for each other and that like both of them were committed to their cause. Both of them did everything they could to succeed. But at the same time, neither one can walk out of that bar, letting the other person live. And Connor is the one who gets to walk out of that bar. Yeah. It's, it's, it's reminiscent of uh, old school WWF where the guys are talking trash backstage and, and and you know that only one person is going to be walking away from that rumble. You yeah, know, and it, and... it's the cream of the crop. That's who it is. <laughs> yeah, imagine. I'm that. sorry. If, if it's Con- the cream yeah. of the crop. Imagine, imagine, <laughs> imagine if Connor just kept pulling out oh, cream during that conversation. Oh, that would have been beautiful. Where was he? Like, honestly, where was the Macho Man getting those from? He has no pockets. Everything's tight spandex. I yeah, know he yeah. had one hidden in the sweatband, yeah. but even then, how? How did he hide in the sweatband? Who knows? Like, you know what? Like he... Macho Man is a he's an assassin. He was an assassin. Had he had rest. hidden. Who knows how many weapons he had hidden on if he could hide that many creamer packets on him? <laughs> that's that's how you know Joe and I are happy to be back, folks. We are finding a way to reference things that have nothing to do with each other. Mm-hmm. This late in the recording, if you're still listening. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. It, it, once again, though, it's a, it's a poetic sequence in a in a game that's truly full mm-hmm. of plenty of them, and and uh, honestly, I, I think that the Haytham and Connor, you know, finale, I think would have been fine. Yeah. Right. I, mm-hmm. I think with Charles Lee at this point, it, it, I really think that it should have been more like how Voldemort dies in, in the Harry Potter books yeah. where, you know, Harry just wins the duel and he falls over dead. Mm-hmm. Like there's no ethereal disappearance or anything no. weird. It's just body drops and it's dead. Mm-hmm. Like that, that was one of the only criticisms that I had when I first played it. And when I played it again, the second time mm-hmm. was that I honestly wished that 
because Connor is a he is a, a an animal, dude. This guy, mm-hmm. this guy is easily one of the most impressive assassins that you'll play in this whole series. Mm-hmm. I mean, within the first like eight games, okay. Like I truly believe that, even though I'm an Ezio fanboy, like he is he's a blunt instrument. The dude just kills. Mm-hmm. So even though he's like critically injured, and part of me was just like, dude, I just want to see him like rip out Charles Lee's throat with his yeah. teeth. Like just, just gut this guy. <laughs> Seriously. Oh, I, I was, I was, I mean, but, but, and this is where I will turn a little bit here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it did kind of help like, like, f- like give some finality to his journey and like what he stood for, you know, mm-hmm. like it's once again, the poet, the poeticism strikes again. Uh, it, it's, it's a, it's a decent way to, to end that, that conflict, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, yeah, seriously, just, just, you know, like the end of equilibrium where, you know, Christian Bale literally just, you know, slices Taydig's face right off. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like give me something, you know, just mm-hmm. give me something brutal like that here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but you we can't, get, yeah, yeah, no, we, we, we get a nice poetic poke. Um, and then we get Connor meeting Juno who figures out that again, he's 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 a cog in the machine he's a he's a part in an overall plan and connor doesn't get it and he's told that he will and this is a probably the only thing that really disappoints me about this game that truly disappoints me about this game is when juno said you've played your purpose and you will again implying yeah. that we're going to get more of connor and yeah. sadly we never got more than a level in a what started off as basically a portable game that got ported into the PS3 and uh, the remaster eventually uh, with Liberation, and yeah. I think he like you saw him in a memory somehow in Black Flag, but yeah. we never got to be Connor again after this game. It it was it was a teaser that uh, like I mentioned in the in the very beginning when I first played it I was like eh, mm-hmm. I don't really care so much about that but after having played it again and them kind of teasing it it's like what was the point you know like yeah. he, it, it, this was this is what i think is actually the continuing hindrance of the assassin's creed series is mm-hmm. that you know when you keep doing all of these one-off experiences like this you are just going to hamstring having to get like it, it hamstrings the experience for the next game because then you have to spend yeah. that time getting to know that next person Mm-hmm. When you might still be attached to the one you just got done playing as, yeah, and and that's why the Ezio trilogy I think is still, you know, regarded as one of the best Assassin's Creed experiences because of that, you know, mm-hmm. um, and so I, I think it's at, at this point it's like, why not just revisit it now? Yeah. You know, find a find a reason to go back. We can find a reason to Absolutely go back. Absolutely, you here. can find a reason to go back to be Connor again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely, and I agree with you on that criticism. Like you, mm-hmm. you left meat on that bone, you know. You, Lots you take of meat the, left. You take that bone. You get a cup of soup, some raw veggies. You can mm-hmm. get a stew going. Okay? All right. So Let's get some counter stew because <laughs> we did get we do get the finalization in Desmond's story, and we I know like I guess one of the other big faults and complaints about the game is that it really it tried to do so much. It, yeah, there is so much new and so much they packed in this game, where they probably could have just stretched this story, like this storyline, out into at least two games, where yeah. you could have had Connor take out part of the inner circle and then get to the second game where you've got to finish off Hatham and you've got to finish off Lee. And since they did so much of this game, like I feel like we couldn't do true justice to the modern storyline in this game. 
because no. you've got Desmond going after and interacting with Daniel Cross, who was again this assassin turned to the Templars. So you've got Desmond's story mirroring Connors to a fault in these two different time periods. And you see, like, you know, the havoc that the animus has caused on Daniel Cross um, yeah. as his time as an assassin. And even, like, you know, Abstergo's putting him through that machine, too. Um, and then you find out that, you know, Desmond's purpose was to stop an actual apocalypse when the, the sun was going to release a giant solar flare uh, that would have wiped out the planet because that's how the precursor race had fallen. Yeah, that was so, the same issue. Yep. Mm -hmm, same yep. thing. So we get this, this closure to Desmond's, Desmond's story. And we're left with this uh, this opening in Connors, which is, you know, again, like an unfortunate way to leave the game. But at the same time, you know, great storytelling for Desmond, even lots of great storytelling with Connor. It's just they teased us with there could be more with Connor, but we didn't get it. And I think that yeah. that probably has to do with the reception of the game, because yeah, yeah. this definitely was heavily criticized when it came out, despite the fact that the hype for the game was definitely real. And it wasn't until Valhalla that another game actually beat the first year sales of Assassin's Creed 3. Yeah. And the game still holds the title for the most units sold during the launch time, during that, that yes. initial launch. Yes, uh, we, was... we, met, we mentioned that it was, the, mm -hmm. it was the game that sold the most units the fastest in the yep. entire Assassin's Creed series. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it was, what, three and a half million the first week. Yeah. Uh, Seven million, uh, I think, within a month, and then 12 million by the end of that first launch quarter. So yeah. it was totally like as far as video games go it seems like this one's gonna fuck it's gonna be great yeah i mean mm -hmm. this 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 had like if assassin's creed had a zipper there was a salmon falling out of that i mean for that the, for this for, for assassin's creed 3. It just, yeah, the just dick the had it slack is. is what it seemed like <laughs> yeah and... dicks and fold baby <laughs> yeah and yeah. i mean then you get i mean the game had bugs you had bobcats that were dancing all over your screen um connor it's... would sometimes climb things you didn't want him to climb but this is mm -hmm. this is indicative of of every Assassin's Creed game to yeah. an extent. Mm -hmm. So th this is the same issue that people got into with two, where you would try to climb up a wall and then suddenly just jump off of it. Yeah. Right. Like there there were some mm -hmm. things that that were just control issues. Um, mm -hmm. Honestly, I, most of the people who run into game breaking glitches and problems with the games, they're usually the ones that are playing it day one before there's even a patch out. Yeah. You know. So for me, when I first played this game. The, the first time through, I didn't really have any major glitch, glitch mm -hmm. issues. Um, and then the second time through, since I was playing for completion, um, I was scared to death that for the Frontier missions, that one character wouldn't show up because mm -hmm. sometimes the character will not populate. Yeah, It, it didn't matter what version you're playing. Mm -hmm. So so that that was the only concern that I had. And sure enough, the guy showed up. So I was like, okay, thank God. Oof. Like, yeah. like, mm -hmm. like, okay, I don't have to replay the whole thing again. So like that, that was the only glitch problem that I was concerned mm -hmm. with because I never ran into one otherwise. Yeah. Seriously. So, I mean, occasionally your, your PlayStation just freezes and shuts oh, off. Yeah, that, that, happens. that happens. It doesn't matter what game you're playing. That'll happen. Yeah. yeah but that didn't happen mm -hmm. to me. It did yeah. not happen to me. So you know, it, it was the same with me. I didn't encounter a single like major glitch in this game. Like I, and again, I guess also like, again, like that was just like the experience was wonderful for me the first time through, like actually this game until I beat it and beat it completely. Like this was what I looked forward to at the end of my day. And this is my, again, we talked about this was, this is my first year teaching. I'm working 12 to 14 hour days between me getting to work, having to grade papers, plan paper, 
make plans and then actually carry out the school day, grade more things, plan more things, wake up, rinse, and repeat. But when I got home at 7.30, 7.45 at night, I got to escape and live Connor's life with him. And running through the wilderness, taking out those, those convoys, doing the storyline, and literally getting to experience another culture through Connor was yeah. incredible to me. And it literally made my day every day I got to play that game. Not to mention the rope darts. Fucking A, those rope darts were cool. <laughs> the Predator Trophy? Again, great fucking Easter egg that you put Eagle Vision on and hang like five people with rope darts. Yeah. Fucking love it. Yeah. <laughs> well, mm -hmm. speaking of loving things, Joe, we are going to now do the first attempt at doing our retro reviews and actually assigning numbers to things. All so right. what we're going to do here, we're, we're, this is going to be something that we'll continue to do from here and, and into the future. Fantastic. We, are, we will aggregate our scores and keep track of them. We'll have a leaderboard. We'll even, mm -hmm. we'll even show it off in our blog, folks, if you want to keep track of it. So, Joe, the first thing we're going to talk about here, mm -hmm. and we're, we're going to go for out, out of a best score of five. Okay? okay. So let's talk about us some graphics. I guess out of a out of a score of five, Joe, what would you give graphics to Assassin's Creed Three? Assassin's Creed Three, um, and since we're talking Assassin's Creed, we have to have the appropriate scale. This is going to be Hidden Blades, so <laughs> I'm going to go with four Hidden Blades out of five for the graphics, um, and just because, again, like. No game's gonna be perfect. Anyone who says you've got perfect graphics, even like my 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 absolute favorite series uh, with Uncharted, and like the absolutely glor like breathtaking, legitimately beautiful like cutscenes in that game, I'm still not gonna say that thing has perfect graphics. Like there's like until I'm in a video game and I cannot tell it's not real life, nothing has perfect graphics. <laughs> so I'm gonna go with like for its time, like especially first playthrough on the PS3, beautiful. They were gorgeous, but they weren't perfect. So four four hidden blades out of five. And you know what? I I'm I'm gonna mirror your statements here. Um mostly because I thought at the time that Revelations graphics were pretty damn good for the mm -hmm. PS3, you know, especially I wouldn't say near the end of its you know life cycle because the, the game the PS3 was still hammering out quite a few games, but but for them to have made Assassin's Creed 3 look the way that it did. Mm-hmm. And starting at the very end of Assassin's Creed 2 to develop it, I mean, that's something that I think needs to truly be appreciated here. To be able to achieve that level of graphics with that kind of development cycle. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't yeah. I, I kind of agree with you that yeah, perfection, not necessarily, mm -hmm. but advancing the series from what it had been and taking an engine that worked, graphics that worked, combat system that worked. And then making it look as good as it did mm -hmm. in in this engine, yeah, I, the graphics are definitely pretty damn good. Oh yeah, beautiful. Uh, and that going on to gameplay next. Yeah. So with the actual enjoyment of this game, uh, I'm let you take this one first. Where are you going out of five? Well, for me, um, I, I am going to dip just a little bit here. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to go three and a half out of five, and only because of the fact that. This is something that does take a little bit of a learning curve to mm -hmm. get used to. I mean, it just does. If you're someone who played, you know, the Ezio trilogy, like let's just say if it's a brand new person that that bought the Ezio trilogy and then they bought Assassin's Creed Creed 3 Remastered, 
if you just bought those two games and you played them back to back and you finished out SEO and you went straight to Connor, you would sit there and go, holy shit. Mm-hmm. I got to figure out brand new weapons. I got to yep. figure out uh, brand new hunting systems. I got to mm-hmm. do all this stuff. Now, the weapon wheel is entirely different. The weapon wheel is entirely yeah. different. Yep, you mm-hmm. got it. So I'm not going to say the gameplay doesn't work. I'm just going to say here that there's so much more things that you have to get used to doing that you never had to do in other games. Mm-hmm. There is a bit of a learning curve, and which is why I'm going to dock it a half a point. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. What do you think? Mm-hmm. And this is where I will fully admit that my my homeboy hood for the Assassin's Creed games, or not, yeah, not not a homeboy, fanboyhood is going to be pulled on like all the way over. <laughs> I'm going full five out of five hidden blades on this one. And again, it's just because like it was the right time in my life to have this. I didn't have any glitch issues. I loved the story. I absolutely loved loved Connor for who he was and who he became throughout the story and it was the best part of my day every day so to me with how fun this was and what it meant to me at the time Mm -hmm. i can't give it anything less than a perfect score for me and i understand again full fanboy moment um i'm probably the only person who's going to give the the gameplay five out of five on this one but you know i just can't beat it i can't top it um very very few gaming experiences can compete with me being exhausted from my day and wanting to do nothing, but turning on that game and then wanting to be up and forcing myself to go to bed and stop playing it. I mean, I can only think uh, of maybe one game where I dedicated that much time and played it that much. And it was Borderlands two. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I can, I can understand that vibe. Um, now, as far as going back to the game mm-hmm. and playing it over again, I mean, replay value used to be something that games were much more adept at doing because, mm-hmm. well, you would die hundreds upon thousands of times before you most likely beat those games. Yeah. So for a game like Assassin's Creed 3, what do you think the replay value would be for that? This is the one where I think it takes a hit. So this is where I'm going to go down to a 3.5 with replay value. And when we, when I think replay value, this is like you've completed the main storyline, the game's done for you, do you want to pick it up and play it again? And this is one where like the online was fun enough back when there was an online, the remastered version does not have an online version um, where you have competitive play and the competitive play was fun enough, but it was, it was nothing groundbreaking, nothing too great. It was basically the same thing we had gotten in um, brotherhood. Cause I don't think revelations had online play. Uh, no revelations did, it? Uh, did, did have online play. Okay. So, so brotherhood had mm-hmm. uh, a fairly simplistic, like couple of modes that you could play. Mm-hmm. Um, revelations also had the same, like, you know, deathmatch modes and all the same yep. uh, basic things. And then I think three was the one that introduced like the wolf pack mode. Oh and, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so it was still fairly simplistic stuff, but yep. yeah. But yeah. Nothing, nothing great, nothing groundbreaking. So, and like, like, you know me, like I play all four Uncharted games every year because I love yeah. fucking playing those things through. Assassin's Creed, I have played through so far twice, fully. Oh, wow. So I have done the original playthrough, well, I guess 2.5 times because in the original playthrough, I did the remaster of the PS4. I played your Homestead <laughs> missions that you didn't want to play. Um, and I, I currently own the remaster also on the Switch because it was, it was under 20 bucks and I'm not going to pass that up. Mm-hmm. So I have, but I haven't played it yet. 
and I will play it, but I also have to finish Brilliant Diamond. I have Pokemon Arceus, uh, yeah. and I have a few other games waiting in the wings where I will get to Assassin's Creed 3 again on the Switch or on the Switch, but I'm not going to be rushing to play it anytime soon. So mm-hmm. that's where it's like, you know what? I can get like not wanting to replay it over again and and firing it up one more time to just go through the same story again. I can see like people aren't crazy about doing that. And and that's that's kind of going to mirror what I was going to say because mm-hmm. when you look back at the, at even Brotherhood and Revelations, those were games that I would actually still fire up, and sometimes I wouldn't even restart a playthrough. I would just go in and get into random fights. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'd take out the parachute and go to the highest point, jump off, and just see where I land. Yeah, um, those were things that I used to come back to consistently mm-hmm. in the earlier games in the series. Um, with Assassin's Creed three, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, I suppose if you just wanted to hoard a bunch of money and, you know, uh, mm-hmm. go and go, go, you know, get pelts and all that stuff. But I mean, there, there were elements of like brotherhood and revelations that could drive a new playthrough, like just getting the, the most bitch ass armor set, mm-hmm. like, like, or kick-ass, not bitch-ass, kick-ass. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like you had Altair's armor in two. Like, yeah. if you started up a new playthrough, you wanted to get Altair's armor mm-hmm. as fast as you could and then and then go go to town. Same thing goes, you know, with, with Brotherhood and, and Revelations. There's a cool piece of armor you can go get, and, mm-hmm. and that can help vault you into a new playthrough. So, yeah, for me, I would say, like, it's got to be a two and a half because it's, it's not a game I could even see myself revisiting despite the respect mm-hmm. I have for it and 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 the fun that i had with it you know revisiting it yeah um i i think i only replayed it yeah i only played it twice just like mm-hmm. you for the most part two two times you yeah. love it and mm-hmm. i had to i had to see the light and even and i've <laughs> almost played it as many times as you have so mm-hmm. yeah, yeah and i mean honestly to get my counter fix i fire up liberation and i will play counter's level and I, that's that's when i'm like i need to get back into counter's into counter's boots again i play that because I mean, honestly, I mean, it plays just like AC3 does, but you yeah. get this nice little contained story of of Connor helping out Aveline, and yeah. it's fucking fun. So, like that, I will I'll fire up Liberation every once in a while and just to play Connor again. I don't it's know why, just feeling. because it's a, it's it's contained, it's small, and it's the story is done right there, and I get to experience a full little part of Connor without replaying the entire AC3 game. Yeah, yeah, I I, I hear you on that. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, rounding out our our review time here, um, this is actually something that I borrowed from GamePro back in the day uh, when GamePro used to do their their reviews. They would actually put music in their reviews for the game, as they should. It shouldn't have stopped. As they should. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, GamePro is now defunct, of course, but yeah. uh, but still, the, they could talk about music. They're not around anymore. But, yeah. but hey, <laughs> hop on YouTube, say something about music in a video game. Do it. Say a few words. Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> The, so the music of Assassin's Creed up to this point had been largely led by Jesper Kidd. Uh, Jesper brought us some of the most iconic music from this series with Ezio's family, uh, with Earth. Earth was like the one of the main themes uh, from Assassin's Creed 2. Just instantly recognizable music that would continue to appear throughout the series, even after Jesper Kidd stepped down. So what I thought was interesting about Assassin's Creed 3 was that even though we had a, a major shift in tone and a major shift in the type of game we were playing, um, the music still is iconic. Mm-hmm. I mean, for 
for this entire game. Um, and it's not just because the, the music is era specific and era accurate for certain things that you're interacting with. Mm -hmm. um, but, but the theme of the game is still adrenaline inducing and like, it, it fits really god, well with the it does action. So well, <laughs> it so does. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So for me, I'm gonna give this a four and a half out of five. It is, it is, it's, it's straddling the line of perfection mm -hmm. for sure for me. All right, and here's where I'm also gonna do the same. Uh, I'm gonna go four point five hidden blades out of five. Uh, and I'm probably butchering his name, but it's it's Lauren. I think Lauren Belf. Belfay, yeah, he's Scottish. Right. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think it's Belfay, um, but Lauren Belf, um, the composer for this, especially oh, look at that main theme. Oh, fucking yeah. slays. It just does. Like it is like unassuming and then suddenly adrenaline pumping where you're like, oh, this is soft. This is smooth. This is well composed. And then it just gets your heart racing. And it's brilliant for the game. And I remember yeah. one year, well after Assassin's Creed 3 had, had come and gone in our lives, and I was watching, of all things, Top Gear with the, the original British trio on it. And there's an episode where they had basically turned this ghost town into a racetrack. And you get, I believe it's Clarkson going on the track in, in some sort of supercar. And the music fires up for him just like, crushing this track. And I'm sitting there like, this is the fucking Assassin's Creed three, three theme song. <laughs> Top Gear is using this theme song in their show, of all things. Again, a British show, which was for a while we were thinking, oh, like the game's anti-British. Um, this British show about cars and nothing about video games is using the song and it fucking works here too. <laughs> like you can put this song into anything and it just gets you amped and excited and for that reason, like it's good, it's brilliant. Can't say perfect because you know, maybe I'm, I'm not a music person. I can't, I can't read it. I can't make it. I can't do anything with it other than just appreciate it. So yeah. maybe there's some sort of error in his composition that someone could say is is, is lackluster or amateurish. But for me, it's darn near perfect. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the other like the half a point that I would even ding it for here is the fact that. You know, in Assassin's Creed 2, Brotherhood and Revelations, like you're you're getting a mix of modern music that weaves in and out with the music of the period. Mm -hmm. And if if I hadn't heard that and just went straight to Assassin's Creed 3, I'd probably say Assassin's Creed 3 is perfection because of it. But I still do think they had influences that they could draw from in the earlier titles. Mm -hmm. um, but what that brings us to our first retro review of this of this season we are looking at a 31 and a half out of 40 possible hidden blades that we gave this title joe uh which gives us a respectable 78.75 percent or we'll round up to 79 percent so yeah. and I, I think it deserves more i really do <laughs> I, I i again i don't get fanboy love the game uh i would give it more than a c personally but hey this is why it's a team effort <laughs> we gotta have a balanced view. We can't just have me fanboying the whole the whole time and be like A plus plus bitches. Um <laughs> you know I mean, this I, is this is like Dan Marino never winning a Super Bowl to me. You like, know what the I, shit. I, I took I took a half point off a of gameplay <laughs> because it might have been spite, you know. And, <laughs> and 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 now I'm even thinking, 
you know, should should I grant this, you know, a quarter of a point j just to get us into B territory? Because <laughs> actually, a quarter of a point wouldn't even do it. Wouldn't a quarter do it, of a point though. wouldn't do it. Um, so let, let's just let's just leave it at a seventy nine percent. It, you know, mm -hmm. Joe. I think I don't think we're the only people that are thinking this because, no. like you mentioned. This is a game that did excel. It's a game that did a lot of good things and, mm -hmm. and they did it right. But it did also have some narrative choices that people didn't necessarily agree upon. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, you know, I, I think uh, maybe we'll soften as we age. But I, I think for now, this is a good, <laughs> good place to end it. <laughs>